You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Brian Evanson is the author of the novels Father of Lies, Dark Property, The Open Curtain, and Last Days. His short story collections include Altman's Tongue, The Din of Celestial Birds, Contagion, and other stories, The Wavering Knife, and Fugue State, illustrated by graphic novelist Zach Sally. Thank you for joining me, Brian. You're welcome. Brian, one of the things that strikes me uh, about all of your writing is there's a stripped-down sparseness that seems to almost strive to expose some brilliant and destroying <laughs> illumination at the center of everything you write. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's... I, I'd, I'd like to think that's what, what's going on with my writing. I really do go for that. Um, I, I am... I've always been kind of interested at... at seeing what happens when you kind of strip things away and take the veneer off and reduce things uh, and, and really get at the heart of something that's, um, you know, in, in, in many cases terrifying and in other cases just, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe very human but also very, very raw, I suppose. There's a, a sense of, I think, almost imminence and, and destroying beauty mm. <laughs> that's at the heart of what you do. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> Now, uh, let's talk about uh, your beginnings as a writer and, and as a reader, because I think our reading always influences our writing. Yeah. Tell me what you read as a kid when you were growing up. Well, I, I, I grew up actually reading um, science fiction and fantasy. I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy when I was growing up. Uh, Michael Moorcock was incredibly important to me when I was 12 and 13. And, you know, he's, he's very good still, but, but for a 12 or 13-year-old, he was, he was kind of amazing. Um, and... Uh, and then when I was 14, my, my father introduced me to Kafka. He gave me a, the basic Kafka, and, and for whatever reason, instead of ignoring it, I started reading that and, uh, uh, and went on from there to, to Beckett and other things and, and had a kind of hiatus from genre fiction, um, which I slowly just came back to over the years. So, so my reading at the beginning was very genre-based, and then it became very literary, and now it's it's kind of all over the place. I, I just, I'm really looking for good books no matter what genre they're in or what area they're in. I think Kafka is, a, is an important key to your writing yeah. because he has a lot of the, his work seems to exist outside of time, space, literature, and, and everything else, and really in a kind of hard-headed manner, and I think the way you do, and there's a certain hard-headedness to your, to your yeah. stuff, that yeah. to really forge a reality that's, carved word by difficult word. Yeah, I, I, I do think, uh, I, I see, I, I spend a lot of time revising my work and trying to get the words just right. Uh, and Kafka was, you know, f- for me, he does the thing you were talk- you, you were suggesting that I, I do or try to do. Uh, he really does manage to strip away a lot of the things that we see as, as traditional narrative and really get at something that's very, very intense. Uh, so for for me, my favorite story of his is is, is a country doctor, um, which I, I think does this amazing thing of of gets rid of all sorts of things. It's absurd and it's weird, but it really really has this kind of driving intensity that carries it along, 
and and that's I think what I've always kind of strive, stro- strove to to to, to uh, uh, bring across for my readers. Now y- you started out uh, writing short stories. Yes. Uh, talk about um, you know your beginnings as a writer and and what you decided to write as as short stories. How how did you uh, first approach writing and and when and why? I mean, what made you right. s- decide to be a writer? Um, when I was when I was a kid, my my mom actually. Uh, my mom's kind of a failed science fiction writer. She published a story or two um, and of Mormon science fiction, which is a very specialized sub sub genre. And uh, to to get herself time to kind of work on her fiction, she encouraged all of us kids to write so that we'd kind of be, I think, doing something else so she could work. And and uh, so that was really the start of it for me. Is I just I sat down when she was sitting down in the other room and writing and. And started to do it, and all my brothers and sisters did too. But for me, for some reason, it, it stuck, and I, I realized very quickly that I really loved it. And you know, I wasn't a very, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't all that serious about writing. Um, I was very casual about it until, uh, yeah, I was, you know, in my late teens, and then um, I, I went to, to college and and uh, had a really amazing um, writing teacher, a guy named Leslie Norris, who was a Welsh poet. And uh, I was when I was a freshman. I was I, I took a couple classes from him, and then I came to him one day and I said, "Oh, I'd like to take your graduate class in the spring." And I was just I was stupid enough and young enough to not realize that freshmen don't do that. And he he said for whatever reason, "Yes, come take the graduate class." And and so that was really I think very helpful for me and, and very formative in terms of getting me going. Uh, it's interesting that you studied under a poet because I think you're language for all it is very much prose yeah. there's a, a again a sense of word removal that that I think echoes or mirrors yeah. or parallels that of poetry yeah I, I think that's that's probably true I, I think a lot about the rhythms of what I'm doing and, and the sounds of what I'm doing and one of the great things about Leslie as a teacher was just sitting there and listening to him speak in a Welsh accent. He would he would spend like half the class just reading stories to us, which seemed perfect to me. It really attuned me to the way in which, you know, the, the story is something that's on the page, but there are these, these uh, you know, sound components that are there and that can really be made use of in very positive ways by the writer. It seems that you are really, I think, intensely aware of the uh, I think I guess it's the transmutation that happens when we read the printed words on the page and turn them into a story right. in our minds. Yeah. And, and could you talk about that in terms of your work as a short story writer first? Right. Well, I uh, I, I do think that the stuff that I really love to read is stuff that that I can't forget afterwards. And that you know something that has an impact and that kind of keeps working away and the story keeps on kind of going going on in a sense, um, long after I put the book down. Yeah, the and best the best writing is like almost like artificial memory. So tell us how you use the reading experience. Understand your understanding of right. the reading experience affects what you write in the short story form right, first. Right. Right. Well, I, I think that for you know I, I really as I, uh, I I really like stories that that have a kind of palpable or, or visceral impact and that, that I remember afterwards. And so I think for, for me, it's like trying to, I, I read a lot. And when I read, I try to think about, you know, how is it that this writer is doing this thing to me? Um, and, you know, the, the work I love is stuff that, you know, I've, I've read an, enough work and I've taught creative writing and things that I should be able to just kind of see it from the outside, but the work keeps sucking me in, you know, it's, and, and there, I think there are people like, uh, 
um, Muriel, Muriel Spark and, and, and Isaac Dennison who, who managed to, to bring off effects that are very hard to figure out from the outside how you do it, as opposed to someone like Raymond Carver who you can, you read a story twice and you can kind of figure out the effects. And that's not to say they're not good stories, but, but uh, um, there's a different kind of complexity to those other writers. So, so with, with me, I guess when I sit down to write a story, um, I, I think I'm trying to capture that kind of intensity of feeling. Um, and and with a story, you can do that in a very different way than you can do with a longer book because you, you can maintain a really taut thread of the narrative. You can keep the language incredibly tight. Um, you can have the story kind of driven almost by, um, you know, by, by intensity or, or, you know, affective uh, uh, qualities of the story. And, and it's just, fr- I, I, with, I, I think that when I'm writing a short story, it's, it's much closer to my subconscious than when I'm working on a longer piece. It, it really does feel like it comes from a, a place in my brain that I can only partly see. That's an interesting uh, way of putting it because it, the, the best stories strike the reader, keep, can, the reader can return to the best stories yeah. as if they were memories of, you know, my, I, I think of some books I've read as almost like vacations I can go back and visit right. again, and that's right. the best writing. And you go back and visit again, and you find new things about them as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, one of the things that I think is, is striking about your work is, is um, the, the way you use language, it seems like you... You know, you've experienced, I think, more than. Do you do you speak or write any other languages? I, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I uh, I write French, and I uh, well, I translate from French, and I speak French. I can write it, but I I'm not very elegant when I write it. Um, and but I have, I think, learning French was very good for me in terms of thinking about how language worked in general and thinking about how English works. And I do borrow things from French sometimes in terms of constructions, and there's a kind of odd syntax that I sometimes use that that gives the uh, the language a sli- slightly disassociated quality. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's that's you know stealing things from French or Spanish is the other language I know um, that I've done a little bit with. And uh, so yeah, I do steal from those languages. I think it's very useful for a writer to see their language from the outside. One of the themes uh, of Many of your novels are are, are the effects of, of religion, yeah, and, and being part of a religion and being part of a group. Right now, did you? I think I heard, heard you say you grew up in a Mormon household. I I, I, I did. Yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, uh, ex-Mormon. I'm a former Mormon. I was excommunicated. Um, uh, partly, you know, we're largely over my writing. It was something that I. Um, ultimately, I was the one to kind of take the first step to ask to be excommunicated, but but it was related to to writing. Um, and then I, you know, I, that was something that was really interesting. I, I grew up in a Mormon household, but it was a household of of Mormon Democrats, which seems like an incredible contradiction of terms. So I had parents who were were very liberal and and you know interesting people and then i was kind of in this community that was was you know 90% conservative it was very conservative and very um very kind of doctrinaire and so so i kind of grew up always feeling like i was both part of this larger community and wasn't part of it at the same time and and that kind of sense of both being in and not in i think was something that made me constantly think about what was going on and constantly feel like i was both within a situation and outside of it i, I think that one of the things that um, being part of a religion, I think this is, and part of uh, 
um, uh, especially a religion that's as tightly knit and controlled yeah. as the Mormon Church, yeah. is that you're kind of cut off from history. Yeah. And and I think that's something that we we find in your work. Yeah. Your work seems to cut every other part of the external world off from the first word. Yeah, I think it's it's fairly claustrophobic work in some ways. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do feel like it, it creates these spaces, or I, what I want to try to do is create these spaces in which things are happening that maybe couldn't happen anywhere else, and where the, the, the noise of, of other sorts of things, the noise of the outer world is just not present. Um, and, and I think what one of the things your characters find themselves forced to do in mm-hmm. these kind of uh, um, hermetic and sealed yeah, off worlds. Hermetic's a great word for it. Um, is that they're forced to e- explore their own history. Their worlds are without history, and they're, they're forced to explore their own history and kind of invent it. And that proves to be extremely dangerous yeah. yes, to their it, souls. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yes, it, it, it's very true, and, and there there does seem to be with a lot of my characters a, a longing for this history or, or having a history, mm-hmm. and but then also, you know, it doesn't work out very well when either they construct one or make one for themselves, or when they find one that that actually exists. Let's talk about um, your newest book, mm-hmm. uh, Last Days. It's it has the feel. Mm-hmm. Of a particularly savage uh, noir. Well, yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> it, it, I, I see it. Yeah, it is a noir, and um, it's it's very savage. Um, you know, it, it takes this uh, notion from the Bible that uh, you know, if thy right hand offend thee, then then cut it off, um, as a way of you know saying that you have to be willing to surrender parts of yourself if, if you want to go to heaven and extends it in an absurd way. So it's a kind of, you know, it's a book about a, a, a cult of self-mutilators who do that for religious reasons. And then it's about a man who, who kind of falls in among them accidentally, more or less. Um, and, and it's about his, his struggle to, to kind of get out of that, even though it's from the very beginning, it's already too late, I suppose. So it is. It's a. It's a. It's very much kind of playing with noir conventions. The dialogue is, is 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 in that camp as well, and and then just the whole notion that you have in a lot of kind of of, of a certain kind of noir of, of things already are already being too late um, when the book begins. It's not going to end up well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that idea that it's it's already too late. Right. And, and your characters, I think, and this happens in a, 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 across a lot of your books, yeah. um, a, as they try to understand their history, understand how they got where they were, and, and move forward into these the, their their world that they exist in now, um, they they find that the more they their struggle leads them to strip away, I think, yeah. what, what's human. And this is literally. It's very, li- yeah, right, <laughs> in, in exactly. In last days, it's literally. You're but right. I think it happens figuratively in a lot of your work. Well, I, I think it often happens. And I think that a lot, of the, a lot of my work is trying to find that line, trying to figure out, you know, when do you reach a point where you can't come back from, from the point? Um, and in last days, it's, it, but it's, it's much more direct, I think, in that. So I should say, I mean, it's also a very funny book, I think, as, as the same time as it's a very, very dark book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a very absurdly funny book, but uh, um, 
Yeah. Well, well, talk about your sense of humor because I, it, it's I, I like it, but it's it, it's very dark, and, and I yeah. think um, one of the things I that I like about the entirety of your work, and this works for both the humor and the horror, which uh-huh. kind of mirror one another, is there's you write with this the most affectless prose that right. I think I've ever ever read. Oh, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it makes Beckett look positively gushy. <laughs> Well, it's yeah. I, I think a lot of my work is 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 very stripped down that way. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. There's there's there is an absence of affect, um, and uh, and the result. I mean, I think there is a humor there, but it's a very kind of. I don't know if it's a Swedish humor. Or there there is this kind of humor that has this weird edge to it, and it's very quirky. It's mm-hmm. the kind of humor that's not funny in a way but it's funny because it's not funny <laughs> if that makes i don't know if that makes any sense no it but makes yeah. perfect sense yeah right so it's a it's humor that's really interested in the absurdity of of life it's it's a, a very very dark humor i think and and yeah but i also think it's very very funny i mean that's the kind of humor i like i guess yeah now um when you're when you're uh creating this humor do you is this something that you just is this just a byproduct of what you're writing or or do you try to um, offer, you know, and put that in. Does that happen just as a byproduct? Or? I think it happens naturally. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's partly the way I think. It's partly that it develops situationally. It's partly that that as I'm revising, it starts to come out. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, I think that um, you know, as as I a lot of the revision I do kind of um, tightens things, and so it's it is a question of I, I may start out with something that's funny. Um, and then it, it gets, you know, trying to get it down and to the point where it's it's just barely funny, or where the funny is, or the, the humor is, is 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 you know the darkness and the humor balance in some ways. Uh, I think that you're you're a member of the brotherhood of prose self mutilators. Oh, I think yeah, that may be true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd like to to talk to you uh, about you know your work at, at Brigham Young and. and try to understand this because now yeah. you're a guy who's been reading Kafka. You're brought up by liberal Democrats right. and you cho- chose to go to Brigham Young. Was that was yes. that a choice? Yeah, it was a choice. Mm-hmm. Now, in, you knew you were getting yourself into a, a you know fairly conservative religious community. Right, right. Uh, did you feel like you fit in that community from the beginning or did it kind of slowly begin to exclude you? Well, Brigham Young is strange because it does have a lot of really conservative people there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like it has this kind of large population of educated Mormons. And so so you would meet incredibly interesting people there. Um, while I was there, one of my classmates was was Tim Liu, um, who is a, a gay poet and who's been very successful, kind of in the mainstream market. And he was not out at the time, but you know he was he was there and he was interesting. And and there were a lot of people like that, a lot of people who had um, differences with the Mormon Church, but who were trying to sort them out and figure them out. And most of us have ended up leaving, I think. Um, but but there was a community. Neil Labute was there um, at the same time. As, as I was. He was a graduate student, I believe, or an instructor, I can't remember which, when I was a, a student there. And so, uh, um, and then they literally, it, it, for one of his productions of a play, they, they ended up blocking the theater so he couldn't produce the play because they were so so upset with it. 
And so, so there were these people there. And I think a lot of us thought, you know, we, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can live within this religious community and, and kind of find a space for ourselves. And maybe we can change it. And, and, and I just, you know, over time, I, I still stopped feeling that way, I guess. For, for me, the turning point was, you know, it was fine when I was a student there. Um, but there were difficulties there as well. Um, when, I, when I came back as a, as a faculty member, um, I, uh, I had to get a medical release card so that I could have a beard um, because beards were considered um, immoral at, at Brigham Young. And, but if you had a medical condition to, to, to have a beard, it was okay. And I, I don't actually have a medical condition, but, but I knew a doctor, and he wrote, please allow Brian to have a beard on a piece of paper. And that was, that was enough for them to give me, let me have a beard. Um, and that, but when I came back as a faculty member, I, it, it was right, uh, I, I got there right um, before Altman's Tongue, my first book, was published. And, and I had a sense that, you know, it was, that things were maybe changing at Brigham Young, that things could be interesting. Um, but then things started to shut down again. And, and uh, eventually what happened was a student um, who was not in one of my classes um, wrote an anonymous letter to a, a Mormon church leader about Altman's Tongue, my book, saying that it was evil and that it supported um, existentialism and cannibalism. And, you know, it was very, you know, which I think she saw as, as kind of equal terms. <laughs> um, and, and that ended up being something that, you know, eventually after a lot of work and realizing that the, the university kind of felt the same way that she did about the book, it eventually drove me to, to, to leaving and, and finding another job. And, and that led to, you know, that was kind of the start of me leaving the church. Um, I was married to someone who was a Mormon, so the, our, our, our marriage kind of collapsed over that as well. Um, and it was very, very tough. But, uh, but ultimately, I'm pretty happy with where I ended up. I, I'm much happier at Brown than I think I ever would have been at, at Brigham Young. Um, but I, I think that a large part of the way you write and the power with which you write uh -huh. comes from the years of, struggle of being in a church that was really highly controlling because right. I, I think a lot of your writing it's filled with so much power it wants you put it in these hermetic places yeah but it seems to want to escape it knows it oh, knows yeah, yeah, however yeah. it can't right no I, I think you're right that and that sense of being trapped probably does come from from that um and then also i i, I do think you're right I, I think that being raised in that culture was incredibly important for me as a writer, both in terms of making me think about power structures and the way they work, which I think is, you know, it's not just religious structures, but power structures in general are something that come up all the time in my work. Um, and in terms of just, um, I mean, I think I really, I draw a lot from from the discourse of that culture. I mean, I, I think that there, some of my work has this almost kind of biblical language that, that is part of that culture and that, that, that comes from that. So, so I, I I don't think I would be at all the writer I am today without, without that culture. And having said that, I'm very glad I'm out of it. So. <laughs> it, it seems to me, too, that what makes your work, your work could be, I think, viewed as extremely and almost unreadably uh -huh. bleak and uh, nihilistic. And I think that the sense of uh, um, religious imminence of some kind of redemption, even if it's just the redemption of experiencing the language. Yeah, I think that that bleeds through right uh, into your work. Right. Well, that's. I, I hope it bleeds through. Yeah, <laughs> bleeds is probably a good word for it. But uh, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 some of the work, most of my work is pretty bleak. I mean, I think every once in a while um, it turns, there's just a little bit of a turn or an uplift um, mm-hmm. to kind of stop that. But uh, um, but generally, I think that's 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 definitely there. But I, I do think I, I hope there's at least a hint of something else there. So like for with the open curtain, for instance, I, I it, it's left open at the end and whether um, that one, one of the characters is killed or not. And and that was very deliberate on my part. Initially, I thought that that she would be killed, and then I I realized that that was that was not what I what it was it was wrong for the book itself. So. So, so, and, and I really, I like to think of her as surviving that, even though I, I couldn't quite bring myself to say she survives. Um, so, and, and there are other little moments. There are moments, I think, the language I do think, um, you know, I, I try to write in a way that, that even though it is pretty flat, there are these lyrical moments of the language mm-hmm. that, that give you a kind of almost uh, subterranean or, or subconscious satisfaction uh, at the same time as you're confronted with, with sometimes very strange events. Now, uh, the the strangeness in your stories is, is I think, really, really interesting. I, mm. I don't think anybody does strange quite like you do. <laughs> no, nobody has ever, I don't think anybody could mm. uh, uh, claim any, any kind of territory similar. Oh, well, that's good. Because it's, uh, your, the, the, the weird aspects of your work, for, for, to use the term in the sense of H.P. Lovecraft, right, as right. weird tales, what makes your... Uh, stories, weird tales, is viewed through such a stark lens with such acceptance by your prose, by your narration, and by the way you create it, that it doesn't seem weird within the context of your work. And and it's so accepted within the context of your work, we as readers accept it. Right, right. Well, that yeah, that's that's what I'm going for. I, I I hope that the work is something that you can kind of that you fall into and that that does kind of have its own life. Um, that you can't keep at a distance. I mean, I think that's maybe partly what you're what you're saying. Right. Um, and uh, but I, I think the other thing I do is is that the things that should be normal in my work often seem very very weird because mm-hmm. this they're described very very strange you know it's just and it's very slight I think it's a rhythmic thing I think it's also just um, you know um, the, there's a kind of distancing effect I sometimes use when I'm describing spaces and, and things like that and so so it's like the what we should see as normal is already a little bit weird anyway and so as a result the things that are really weird seem you know they, they're almost comforting sometimes <laughs> I how much uh, you know it just struck me and I don't know why I didn't mm. notice this before uh, your work, I think, is informed by religion in much the same way that Flannery O'Connor's work was. Yeah. There's not a lot of overt right. re- there are religion in it, or not overt kind of Christianity or more Mormonism or anything, but there's a, a numinous sense. I guess that's, and that numinous yeah. sense is what make, is that kind of like promise of joy at the end of the agony. Maybe right. if, even if that joy is just the end of the agony. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I, I really admired O'Connor, and, and certainly that's, that's the thing I think that's amazing about her is that she, that even when she's doing something that's very, very dark, there, there are these, there is something that's there that you hold on to. Um, yeah, I think she's a she's 
she's an interesting writer. She's a very complicated person, I think, but, but as a writer, um, she, she really, she had this kind of dual of, uh, affection for both this, uh, for, for religion and for her writing. And she was very much formed by both those things, I think. And I'd, I'd like to think that the same is the case for me, um, even though I think that she holds on to the religious elements a little more strongly than I do. Um, but I, I do think we both, um, I mean, we, we both believe there, there might be salvation out there. I mean, I'm a weirdly hopeful person considering mm -hmm. the kind of work that I, 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 I write. And, and I do think there are, that's something you can't really hide in the work, even, even though, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, I, I do also believe that the world is a, is a very difficult place and things, but, but there are moments of hope that are there. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about dark property. Sure. Uh, because that, uh, it's a, your first climb yes. to show up. Uh -huh. um, this is, a, a, in some ways, an overtly genre novel. Uh -huh. we, we have a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Right, right. Um, but it doesn't feel like a genre novel. It, right. it feels like reality, yeah. a, a, a report from some part of our world that we just haven't, haven't stumbled onto yet. Right, right. Well, that, that, uh, that was a strange book to write. I wrote it um, when my daughters were very young, and I, could, I only had time to write it at night um, as a result. And uh, so I, I worked on it mainly uh, from like 12 in, at night to 2 in the morning. But I was also so tired. It was when I was first um, working in, at, at Brigham Young. And so I was working very hard and hadn't gotten used to academia yet. And the only place I had that I could work was this, this attic of this house that we owned, um, which was, um, had been converted, but it had been very badly converted. And so it was incredibly cold up there, and, and you just would hear the wind whistling kind of through the walls the whole time. And, 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 so, and, and that, all, all those sorts of things, I think, kind of created a space in which that book kind of could come to life. And, and then in addition, the thing that was important for me about that book was I, I did an 18th century uh, 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 PhD and so, so study 18th century British literature. And when I was doing that, I, I started collecting weird words and just writing them in a notebook. Anytime I'd come across a word that was, was, was quite weird, and, and, you know, and in some cases it had only been used a couple of times in, in the course of, 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 the, of, of history, um, I'd write it down. And so, and I had that with me. And I had this notion of this kind of weird apocalyptic space that also has a kind of weird religious component to it, I guess, with the with with the uh, the resurrection thing going on. And I had the idea of, well, I'm going to resurrect these words as well. This is something that I want to bring these words back. And and the way I, I decided would be best to do that is to to give them space to breathe, so that you have a fairly straightforward. Um, narrative but but you know there'd be these words that would suddenly appear that you would have to make sense of by the context that they were in and uh, um, so so I think all that kind of generated the story and uh, I mean I, I it's a very weird story I don't think I'll ever write a story quite as weird as that I mean I hope I hope not it was a very strange story to write and I, I didn't know where it was going as it was going and but I, I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out it, it strikes me when you describe the way you use language, it's as if you used the language itself mm -hmm. um, in a science fictional manner. 
Oh, that's interesting. I, I mean that that the that the words became objects of your science fiction right. innovation, and not just making them up, but uh, using them to create a, a world. Right, right. Well, I, I think that's in, right. In a sense yeah. of dissonance and separateness. Right. I think that that really it was you know the the two or three hundred words that that um, that I began with. And they were the things that kind of generated the the word, the the world. The, the, that's a Freudian slip, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's very much part of it. And and that was, you know, I don't always work that way. I mean, that book did really feel like I was working kind of without a net. And that form, the novella, I think, is such an excellent form in that you can you can be very tight and you can be very controlled without exhausting the reader. With a novel, I think you have to have a little more flexibility you have to have a little um you know you have to to be not quite as as taut or tight but with it with with the the novella you can really kind of hold it all together well your your novels are also very very tight it seems seems to me yeah they're, they seem they're really you know compact um but I, i'd like you to talk about how you go about crafting a novel is it just start with a and end up as z <laughs> Um, it, it depends uh, on, on what the book is. I mean, I've tried different ways. I, I feel that, I'm, I'm, that story writing comes much more innately to me than novels do. Um, and now I feel I'm at the point where, um, you know, I, I kind of know how to do a lot of different kinds of stories, and I'm pretty comfortable with it. I like that form a lot. Mm -hmm. And then um, the novella, I kind of have ideas of how to do it. But with novels, each time I feel like I have to really approach it um, differently or, 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 you know, in a new way. Um, I mean, Father of Lies was, was, you know, it's a very pretty short novel, I think, is one of the reasons that I could talk myself into being able to do it. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I began with a kind of idea and a kind of image, which was this image of the, the, the bloody head, and, uh, and, and went from there and, and didn't have much notes or anything. With, with The Open Curtain... Um, I thought, all right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to trick myself into writing a novel by writing three novellas. And then if I do that and just put them next to each other, it will, you know, it will work. That will be great. And, you know, the first, first part of that, first set, which is the first section of the book, I wrote that in about a year. It, it went very well. It was fine. The second section I wrote very, very quickly in about three weeks, and that felt fine, too. And then I got to the third section, and I realized, you know, I, I've got to actually... I wrap up everything with this section. I can't just do a, a novella that, you know, it won't feel right if that's what it is. And so I tried one thing and I, uh, it, it really didn't work. And, um, you know, I spent um, four or five years, um, I spent, I wrote about a thousand pages trying to find the, the right thing to conclude that novella. And, you know, when it kind of, when it came down to it, it was, it was a very simple act that, that made me realize how to do it. I mean, I tried to set it in Mexico. I'd done all this other stuff, and it just—I I had all these ideas that I had to just let go of. That that I'd kind of come into the book with. I I had all sorts of notes and things, um, and so finally, um, it was just the act of finishing the first chapter and then starting the next chapter and writing chapter one again, so that there was a kind of repetition, and that opened everything up for me. Now that's really interesting. Mm. Now. Um, how much you went through some some fairly um, difficult times? I mean, with yeah, a few be going, <laughs> uh, you know, casting your your 
lot with with Brigham Young and uh-huh. and having that to solve. And I think there's a a, a sense in 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 your work of dissolution and and bringing things back together. And I think that's what I think ultimately makes right. your work so powerful because you really take us to the the brink of hell or, uh-huh. or uh, uh, and and you show us an apocalypse that's both personal, internal, and right. external. Right, right. And I really like that kind of mirrored apocalypse. And then we're, but we there yeah. the beauty of the work is the justification for the horror within right. it. Right. Well, I, I think that, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that was true about my work. I, I, I like that as a way of, of thinking about it. Um, and there, there are certain stories that um, when I read them aloud, I, I think of them almost as a, as a kind of um, communion or something, where there is a kind of aspect for me of, 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 of sharing this experience with, with readers in a room and then bringing them out at the end, which, which I find very very intense and, and very interesting that the stories in Fugue State, um, uh, there's a story called Younger, uh, which is about these two girls who are trapped in a house, um, or their memory of it, and trying to sort out, you know, years after the fact, what what happened. One girl thinks nothing happened, and the other girl thinks it really changed her life. And, uh, and, and when I read that aloud, I mean, I really do feel like it, it is this experience where you, you take someone, you, you take your readers into um, this intense kind of personal apocalypse that this one girl is having. And as she struggles to try to get her sister to understand this and help her to make sense of it, I mean, I think that, that you know, it's very much about that. And then also coming out of it at the end. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it is, I, in, in many ways, I mean, I think this may sound very strange. Um, um, writing has kind of um, filled a, a gap or a hole for me that was left when, when I, I left my religion. And, and it does have a kind of intensity or an almost ecstatic um, uh, uh, relationship to, to me in a way that religion is, at its best can. So, I mean, I, that sounds a little crazy. I don't mean to sound totally crazy. No, that sounds that sounds right. Mm-hmm. And even when you use elements of the fantastic, they don't seem fantastic. Uh-huh. I think, and this is, I think, partly a result of the the flat and affectless prose. Right. And it's also a result of the internalized perceptions that you know your of your characters. Right. But could you talk about how these kind of Either the, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. even when you write it, you could write about a description of a cup of coffee, and it seemed, <laughs> I think it seemed like terrorizingly weird. <laughs> so. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I, I well, I, I love, you know, I, I do think, I, I steal a lot from, from genre writing. I mean, I, there's, you know, I, I take from science fiction and horror and fantasy all the time. I really love a lot of those tropes. I find it, you know, very, very interesting. And, uh, but yeah, that, that does kind of get transformed. I mean, I think the funny thing about me is that, um, that, 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 uh, the literary kind of community, they, they kind of like me, but they also think that I'm kind of not quite literary in some ways. <laughs> They're not quite sure what to make of me. And I think the genre community, it's the same thing where they, they do actually like me, but they they're, they, they can't quite decide if what I'm doing is, is genre or not. I mean, they, they do think so. And they kind of, 
want to claim me, and but then at the same time they're they're nervous about it. So, and so so I'm in this, and and that could be a very terrible thing, and that that I you know potentially that means I could be excluded from from readers from both groups. But but it seems to, at, and at first I was. I mean, I, at first I think people just didn't know what to make of of me, and then slowly, I mean, I've started to 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 get an audience kind of on both sides, and and it does seem to be people who are who are pretty well read and. And who 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 do see me as engaging in these traditions, but also that I, I'm 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 a really strange writer. I'm, I am in I, I don't know why, but I, I do seem to be in this just weird place for myself, which I which I love. But it's also, you know, it's, it's very hard to know how to market me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's because, and we talked about this at the beginning, and we can come back to it now. Mm. I think a lot of your writing is based on your very highly intellectual and, and very keen understanding of what reading's about. Right. And I think that's why you ultimately attract readers. Right. The people who are very interested and understand what reading is and, right. and become really involved in it as yeah. opposed to just looking for the, a written TV show. Right, right. Um, I think that your work as a writer speaks directly to readers in a way that's almost shocking. Mm. It's because you short circuit past all the other things and you get know, to that, this that's, core. That's really interesting. Um, well, I, I hope that's 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 true. I, I really, I mean, I I think I you know I come to this first and foremost as a reader. I, I love to read, and and you know I read I read a lot, and 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 I. You know, I, I really am. When 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 a book is good, I just I really really love it. And I, I think that what I've tried to do with my own work is is to try to recreate um, for for my readers the experiences that I've had in terms of just being really stunned or amazed by a book. And obviously, it doesn't work with with every reader. Um, but I do feel I've been very lucky to have very generous readers and very very bright readers as well that 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 are able to see things in my work that. That I hope are there, and <laughs> that I'll always claim are there if they ask me. So. <laughs> now, tell us what you're working on now. Um, I, I am kind of in between things. I mean, I I, I had the two books come out this year, um, uh, Fugue State and 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 Last Days, and uh, so I, I've. I have two different projects I'm playing with, and I can't really decide which one I'm going to go with. I have a kind of noir um, that I'm playing with, which is a basically a young adult noir, I think, except it may be too dark for a young adult noir, so so I don't know. Uh, and then I have another project I've been working on for a long time, which is is uh, um, kind of picking off. It, it, it's connected the open, open curtain, at least thematically, but I, I also swore I would never... <laughs> That, that I was done with that space, so so I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm really trying to decide what I can, what's going to be best, and what I can go into. So and I'll get there. I'll figure it out eventually. So I don't think you're ever going to be done with that space. I think that space is actually the core that you're circling around. Is the sun near the earth? To. I'm afraid you're right. I mean, I, I in the afterward for the open curtain, I say, oh, this is my last Mormon-related book, and. And immediately people began, you know, emailing me and calling me and saying, "No, this is you're wrong. This is not your last one." And and I, I uh, there's there's just a uh, there, I have an idea that's just so perfect for that area that I think I'm going to have to go back into it. But I just I want to make sure I do it in the right way and that I, I do it for the right reasons. So so I'm figuring it out still. But um, I think that'll probably be the next project. I have about a hundred pages of notes for that, so it feels like it's going. 
I've been speaking with Brian Evanson. He's the author of Father of Lies, Dark Property, The Open Curtain, and his newest novel is Last Days. His newest short story collection, illustrated by graphic novelist Zach Sally, is at Fugue State. Thank you for joining me, Brian. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.